And I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs tell me this, uh, this story about, oh yeah, there, you have to know when to quit. Well, here's what I'll tell you about that. And I, Seth Godin is one of those people that I admire and I've worked with him in the past and so I have nothing ill to say and I'm not trying to be contrarian, but I will say this. I just haven't met somebody at a real deep emotional level that can say to me, I'm so glad I quit. I'm so glad I gave up. They all say to me, man, I was so close to giving up and I'm glad I didn't. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, Race for Impact. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, where we go beyond success and failure to discuss what drives entrepreneurs to do what they do and the impact they intend to have in the lives of others. I'm Mike Flynn, your host, and today I bring you Dan Waldschmidt. Dan has spent his entire life attempting and often achieving the outrageous. He refuses to accept business as usual, making him an unconventional yet highly effective consultant to some of the world's largest companies. In this episode, we talk about his book, Edgy Conversations. We talk about his ultra-endurance running races. We talk about personal mastery. You will hear stories of ordinary humans achieving outrageous success that will inspire you to launch an extraordinary life. And by the time you turn off this episode, you will begin to have an understanding of the strategies that Dan uses to empower billion-dollar businesses to see big wins and feel as though you've just been gifted a map to the moon and a rocket to get you there. But don't just take my word for it. In addition to getting over 30 million hits on his blog, the media loves Dan too. He's been featured in Business Insider, Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc., The Wall Street Journal, Fox Business, etc., Forbes, you name it. I really hope that this episode impacts you in a profound way today. Brace for impact. I uh, I actually first heard... Uh, about you through Anthony Iannarino, who's a prior guest on our show, and he shared some of your stuff on um, on Twitter, and it just like hit me like a ton of bricks that uh, everything that you're doing, your mission, your vision, um, your passion, you know, really just is totally aligned to what we're trying to do with the Impact Entrepreneur Show. So welcome to this episode. Well, I'm glad to be here. So let's kick ass and take names. <laughs> so I, I always like to kind of start out with a, a fun question, uh, which is, if you could pick any superpower, what would it be and how would you use it? Mm. So superpower, how would I use it? I would probably, I would probably have a superpower of ultra endurance more than I have now, right? I kind of have a power, but not a superpower. Uh, <laughs> and how would I use it? I would use it probably to get more things done in a day. Nice. You know, it's kind of funny because Anthony 
Anthony said that if if he could have a superpower, it would be uh, not having not needing to sleep. So similar, yeah, similar kind of thought process. Yeah, I know that the, the politically correct thing is like I wish I had money and so I could be benevolent to the poor. But <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of like yeah. So they might be poor yeah. for a reason. So how about how about give me time and I can go use it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you know, you, you've you've seen a lot of things. You've done a lot of things. You've written a great book. You've uh, you're running a, an amazing company. Um, so, what are you most excited about right now, uh, today, um, or that you're looking forward to accomplishing? You know, this year. So, I, I think I'm one of these guys who's always got like ten balls in the air, and and five of them are are at jeopardy of of, of like crashing to the earth. Uh, and, and all of them excite me. Um, I'm excited about in July, I'm running this 500 mile, uh, ultra marathon, uh, hoping to break a world record, set a new record in running and ultra endurance. Yeah, I think it'd be great to run 320 some odd miles in, in two days. Yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's awesome. It's just like your personal limits are, have been blown up and expanded, uh, infinitum, you know, and then after I do 500 K I'm sure I'll do 500 miles and then I'll do a thousand miles. And I don't know. My 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 goal um, in a couple of years is to run the Transcendental Ultra Marathon, which is three thousand plus miles, three thousand, and it's around one block in Brooklyn. Uh, that's about a half a mile block. You run around, and you do it uh, almost uh, six thousand times. And there's, <laughs> there's been no Americans who finished. Believe it or not, it's all Europeans who finished. And I'm like, you know what? I ought to go there and just crush it. I ought to go oh my. crush it. So. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I've. We'll talk about your your passion for running in a minute, because um, that is something that uh, is extreme, uh, which is which is uh, something else we'll talk about in a, in a couple of minutes. But I uh, I've been fascinated by the um, the ultra marathon, ultra endurance kind of uh, running model. I, I'm a I'm a fitness enthusiast myself. I don't I don't do marathons. But I, I do believe in the importance of having of physical fitness and and really uh, pushing yourself to your beyond what you think you're mentally capable of, capable of, which we'll talk about in a moment. But you know, I was listening to an interview that you did with Jordan Harbinger. Oh yeah, as I was kind of preparing for our interview, and uh, I I normally ask the question why are why are you an entrepreneur? And but I'm going to change it. Uh, a little bit for you because I, I want to ask you, why are you a high performing dreamer? What some refer to as an entrepreneur, was there a, a moment of impact in your life that kind of set you on this trajectory? Uh, I know that, uh, you know, in your story, you talk about how you started working for a company and worked your way up, but, but why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and, and whether there was a moment of impact that, that launched you onto the path that you're you're rocking right now. I got incredibly lucky. I had great parents, and my parents taught me this one lesson: mastery. And and you know, when you're a kid and you're in your formative years, you don't necessarily get it. You look back and you go, "Ah, that's what happened." And so here's essentially what happened: I grew up 18 years. There was no TV in the home, literally no TV at all. I had to read a book a day. I had to practice the piano an hour a day, doing these science projects and studying played the brass instruments like the trombone and the euphonium and things like that. And my parents were very tough. They were very, very tough and very demanding. And uh, this as a second of five children, I just, I I kind of stumbled across this formula 
that if I worked hard enough, that I could achieve just about anything. And what's interesting is you achieve something and you're like, well, that's great. And then you ask yourself, could I do more? Or at least that's what I asked myself. And then I, I kind of applied the same principle. What if I worked harder, right? What if I applied more dedication to this? You know, what if I was willing to sacrifice, you know, effort and time and physical comfort uh, in order to get these things? And the answer was, yeah, you can get those things if you're willing to sacrifice. And somehow these different kind of dots all became connected as I began to pursue bigger and bigger and bigger dreams. So one way to kind of encapsulate this craziness is the second company that I was a part of was about a $150,000 company. When I joined, I grew it to $8 million the first year I was there. Whoa. So that's pretty cool. But, but hidden in that, hidden in that story is, is another observation that's noteworthy. Uh, people say to me now, let's go do lunch. And I say, I don't do lunch. Well, why I don't do lunch started in that time period. I would give myself a goal, make 25 calls, and then you can go to lunch. And then I knew nobody. I just literally knew no one. I had no experience. I had nothing. And then I would say, make 35 calls and then have lunch. And then make 50 calls and you can have lunch. And then make 60 calls and 70 calls and 75 calls. Now, listen, it's really hard to make 75 calls and then have lunch because lunch goes from 11 to 12 to 1 <laughs> to 1.30. Yeah. That pretty soon you look at the clock and go, it's time to go home. Uh, I might make no sense to, to eat lunch. So what happened was I kind of over a period of time building an $8 million business pretty quickly stopped eating lunch because my dreams got big and big and big. And I went from a guy who knew no contacts, who within a few years was not only CEO of the company, but I was considered one of the leading strategists, legal strategists in Washington, D.C. when it came to matters of litigation, litigation defense, litigation defense costs. I was the guy. And it just started from this simple thing. Could I do this? And, and I stopped having lunch and I started having a lot more money. That's amazing. You know, do, do you have a law background or how did, I mean, or did you just, just uh, network and, 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 uh, you know, learn your way to that high power consulting role? So I, I have no background besides dropping out of college. So it's kind of ironic when you think about it, that a guy who's got the least amount of degrees is providing information to the people who have the most amount of degrees. degrees. <laughs> But I, I love it. I, I, I was fascinated by law. I thought I might finish uh, school, thought I might go into law. There's a part of my family that are, are lawyers. There's the other part of my family that are doctors. Obviously, you have to go to school and have lots of education to do those things. It just didn't fit for me. I was too busy making things happen to learn. And so I, I, I realized I like to learn while I'm doing instead of just sitting. I mean, but at the time while I was doing that company, by the way, while I was making those calls, I was back in school studying to go to law school. And because I had been to seminary before, I dropped out of school twice, actually. I went to seminary for three years, decided that wasn't for me. And then I went to George Mason and studied government and international politics for two years in their honors program because way, way, way back earlier, my SAT scores uh, were so good. And by the way, I'm a kind of an old man while everyone else is these young, young tigers. I would go to school two days a week, th Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I took 26 hours of classes. I would literally go 13 hours on Tuesday, back to back to back, 13 straight hours. And then Thursday, I would go 13 straight hours, ducking out for calls and meetings and closing deals, and then grew that business from 150 to 8 million while only working technically Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so, um, you know, it's just it, what it shows is we're all much more capable. I'm basically the village idiot 
if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I know that people look to me and say, well, no, you're, you're super human or you've got all these capabilities. I think the thing that separates me from other people is, and I don't even think I'm an entrepreneur. I just think I'm hungry. Right. If you feel hungry. You go to the grocery store hungry. It impacts what you do. I mean, you're scraping stuff. You know, you're taking a whole armload of stuff and scraping it off the shelf and putting it in the cart, right? Because right. you're hungry. Your body says, I need that. I want that. I got to have it. And like you get home and you've got like coconut flakes. Like, what do I need coconut flakes? Well, when I was hungry, I thought it was good. I put it in the cart. I think that's the thing is that, you know, when you're hungry, you, you, you're willing to do things that you wouldn't otherwise be willing to do. And I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are, who, who willingly give themselves the label. I'm an entrepreneur, but they're not really hungry. Right. And so yeah, they, totally. they fail to achieve the goals that they might otherwise do. Yeah, no, that that's a really good point. I mean, you, I, I look at you and and all the work that I've I've read of yours and your background and what you're doing right now. You definitely are a doer, not just a dreamer. And you don't wait for permission. You know, I mean, I think that one of the challenges that a lot of entrepreneurs and business people face in life uh, or face in their businesses. Uh, and it's an obstacle to success is that they're waiting for someone to give them permission to take the next step. Right. Or to tell them what the next step should be. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I, and one of the, I think if, I think it's on your blog or somewhere, somewhere in your, in your work, which is a great blog. I love it, by the way, you, you mentioned this book that I, that I really love the title of it said, you can't teach a kid to ride a bike in a seminar. Yeah. Yep. Right. So, so like, it's, it's, you got to get out there and learn by doing, you got to get out there and, and get on that bike and you've got to be willing to fall and take the, the hits, you know, and, and get back up. And, uh, and so I, I really appreciate that sentiment and, and the, and the example that you're setting in, in that way for so many business people and entrepreneurs and, and industry leaders, let alone government leaders. You know, when you're hungry, or when you're driven, whatever word you want to use, when you're motivated, I like hungry because it, it 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 makes me feel something different. But when when you know when you're motivated, you, you know you you look beyond kind of the obvious things. So, you know, for instance, I talked to an entrepreneur a few days ago who uh, is is doing a pretty neat business, a, a smaller business, about a million dollars a year, which is you know pretty good. But you know, has an investor, and one of the investors in their business is a, is a sales uh, sales guy, um, and it. At the surface, you kind of go, yeah, he's a sales guy. Uh, when I started digging into it, I realized, wait a minute, this guy isn't a sales guy. This guy built a $100 million company, the investor did, 25 years ago. Whoa. Now he's got money and in investing into companies. And so this entrepreneur is saying, oh, look at our investor. He's a sales guy. He knows how to grow organizations. And I said, stop, 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 stop. Uh, your guy built a company 25 years ago. Look, the rules have changed 25 months ago, 25 days ago, probably 25 minutes ago. And you're holding on to this theory that a guy who did it 25 years ago, right? Back in the days of uh, of boiler rooms and all that craziness, when we were yeah, right. direct mail letters to people instead of direct emails or direct tweets, you know, that guy is going to magically resurrect you. And you've made a fatal flaw. You've outsourced your life. You've outsourced your goals. You've outsourced your execution to somebody that you are hoping, hoping will help you. And the reality is that's a has-been with a big bank account. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know it sounds mean, but you got to fight for yourself. That guy's a has-been with a big bank account. 
that kind of tees up. I'm going to go a little bit off off chart here because it tees up something that I just did. One of one of your resources uh, I just took advantage of this morning. You just said a moment ago that you've got to basically stick up for yourself and stand up for your ideas and stand up for for what you are wanting to accomplish and not delegate those things and not pass those on to something else. And so along those lines, you guys, your company has uh, created something called the edgy audit, which which I love. I mean, I just did it uh, you know, about an hour or would two you, before. Would you score? Before. Do you mind sharing I, or no? Yeah, no, I'll share. I'll share. Uh, I scored a 128. Okay. I'd like you to maybe elaborate a little bit on the edgy score and how to, how like where 128 lines up. But I thought the description was like spot on for me. It said, you take more risks than the average person, true, but lack enough self-confidence to be, to, to stay truly bold. Also true. Sometimes I, I do uh, lack some self-confidence, which is something I'm always working on and trying to perfect and be mindful of. You're successful at times, but aren't always satisfied with your accomplishments. That is also true. I, I hold myself to a very high standard. I'm competitive and I don't like it when I'm, when I miss a target. Uh, and, and there's a bunch of other stuff. And then in the, at the end, it says you are able to inspire others to improve their performance, which is also true. I, that's, that's a big thing for me. I love to inspire others. I love to coach others. I love to lead others. And so thank you for creating that. Tell, give us a little bit of background about the edgy audit and, and how people can go online and, and uh, learn how to be a little bit more edgy. So you can go to edgyaudit.com, E-D-G-Y audit.com and, and take the test. It's 12 questions. So it's not as fast as BuzzFeed, but it's pretty darn close. I think our average time is five, six, seven minutes to do. Uh, some people think way too much. The questions aren't meant to trip you up. They're just meant to, to get your gut sense on 12 different possible scenarios. Yeah, for instance, one of the questions is, what matters most? Who did it? How it was done? Or when it was done? Something like that. I mean, it's just simple. Yeah. When you think about it, what's your gut reaction? Put down an answer and move on. Yeah, it was what was said, how it was said, or who said it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what I, I wanted to do, and by the way, the writing of my book and the research in my company, we used to have two neuroscientists on our team. Uh, you know, PhD neuroscientist, uh, not foo-foo guys have been to a uh, coaching program, but, but you know, real neuroscientists. And I wanted to figure out what are the qualities of someone who is extreme disciplined, giving, and human. And those are the four qualities in a thousand ordinary people that we interviewed that we saw coming back to the surface time after time after time after time. And so I said, what is extreme behavior? What may, what is, if I were to describe extreme behavior, what would it look like? And so that turned into a, a series of descriptions and those descriptions turned into a series of qualities and those qualities turned into things that you could possibly identify. For instance, how do you know someone's angry? Well, you might know they're angry because they have a red face or maybe the, the tone of voice is going up an octave or maybe they're shaking their fist, right? Or maybe they're glaring at you. So those are all ways to tell if someone's angry and they're not foolproof because maybe someone's red in the face because they've been running. They're not angry, but they've been running. And so you have to, you know, you have to, it's not as simple as just asking a question. You've got to ask several questions. You've got to weave the answers together and figure out uh, how things correlate together. And so ultimately we got that down to 12 questions. I didn't want to do like a Myers-Briggs sort of sure. 55 page sort of thing. I wanted it to be quick and easy and simple. When you got to the end of it, we'd rate you on a score of one to five. How good is your E? And how good is your D? And how good is your G? And how good is your Y? One to five, one to five, one to five. Multiply all those together and you get your final score. And so, you know, it's a simple way to just gut check. And I got to tell you, I, we hear lots of great responses 
uh, from people like yourself who said, you know, it nailed me. Like, by the way, it nailed me. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it's, it's no wonder it, it took us a couple of years and, you know, I would say thousands of hours, uh, and a couple of years of work to actually get it right. So I'm glad. And, um, I think it's a great way just to quickly look at what are your strengths and weaknesses? Yeah, totally. Like, so, so I know that the range, the scoring range is like one to 600 and something, Yeah, which is, which is mind blowing to me because I got a 128. So it's obviously, and the, the higher you your score, the more edge, the more edgy you are in the sense of owning extreme action, being, sure. having disciplined activity, being a giver and, uh, uh, focusing on the human strategy, and we'll talk about all those in a second. But uh, so, like 128, like where does that line up? You guys have done this for for thousands of people at this point. Like, where does what's the average score? Do you guys? I think, do you guys I think have? the average score is is it is it might be somewhere like 141, 142, something like this. Okay. Okay. Um, but um, you know, the reality is, um, you know, I, I look at it as not where you're at, but where you're headed. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily think comparing yourself to everyone else. So we've got some very interesting analytics on it that I can share with you. I need to go find the URL cause it's not immediately apparent where it's hiding, but some really neat stats about, you know, the, the, the most edgiest, uh, the, the edgiest, you know, titles, job titles and companies, for instance, when we normally think about entrepreneurs, we think, oh yes, yeah, small companies are edgier than big companies. Not necessarily. When we look at big companies, people who have uh, more than 500 employees, which we consider to be quite large, they're the second edgiest. So the single edgiest are single sole proprietors. The second edgiest are people with 500 and employees and above. The third edgiest are people that have five to 20 employees. Interesting. So one of the things I've learned and I've said, I've shared with people all over the world is that big companies don't struggle from a lack of innovation and ideas. They struggle from a lack of execution. And so, you know, you've got these companies that have the smartest people in the world in them, you know, most creative, you know, the most, uh, you know, the most powerful when it comes to uh, energy and enthusiasm. And, and so it's our job to train them and coach them and, and, and propel them forward. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. Let's let's back up a minute because um, I do want to talk about. Uh, I want to get edgy with the conversation uh, about the book and stuff. But this is an important question. I think mentorship has been really really critical in my life. I have like lots of mentors. I have a physical fitness mentor. I've got a business mentor. I've got a spiritual mentor. Can you tell us a story about a mentor in your life who's helped shape your mindset and maybe influenced your outlook? You know, I keep hearing people talk about mentors and I get guilty because I keep thinking like I need a mentor in my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't really have one. Okay. Uh, I have coaches. I've got a uh, two coaches I pay for running. Yeah. Uh, well, like like that. That's yeah. that's a, a, a mentor kind of program. I'm sure. It, not only it helps you in your 
I, I pay I pay a lot for I pay a lot for expertise. So I you know I have a therapist I go and see at least once a week, and I pay Moxley yeah, you know PhD, and uh, you know I pay run. So I feel like I have, I have these guys that I pay to you know keep my head in the game, uh, physically, mentally, intellectually, and business wise. So so yeah, I think I think uh, one of the one of the uh, greatest uses of, of your money is investing in your own mental well-being. And so I often think it's interesting that, you know, in sales or entrepreneurship, we spend all this money on, you know, Facebook ads, but we won't spend them, you know, 125 bucks an hour to sit down with a therapist and say, I'm struggling with this and come, totally. away, you know, come away inspired much more value than any amount of Facebook ads could do for you. So, you know, I think that's something to think about. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you completely. I I have a I'm in the same boat. I I have a therapist that I sit down with and I I talk to. I call her my mental health coach. We meet quarterly, and it, it's really uh, been beneficial for me to just talk through things. I mean, some with somebody who understands the mind and how the mind works with the body. And See, I, I meet with my person once a week. You must be incredible to, be able to, <laughs> to pull that off once a quarter. Yeah, I, I, can, yeah. I can probably meet with him three or four times a week. Uh, I'm kind of a head case, but, uh, but yeah, whatever works for you. Yeah. You got to find, you know, you got to find it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's got, it's, 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 it's relative to where you're are, where you're at and the conversations that you're having. And let's go, let's go back to running for, for a minute. When I was watching, uh, or getting ready for this interview today, I also watched an interview that you did with Gerhard Schwatner. And, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me was how many miles you've run in the last few years and the fact that you knew your body was capable of doing this. I think in the interview, you were talking about a hundred mile marathon that you had just finished. But in, in that interview, and this is kind of what blew me away, was you mentioned that during the first 20 miles of this run, not in the first 20 minutes or the first couple miles, but for the first 20 miles of this run, you're, you were beating yourself up in your, in your mindset. You know, you weren't, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, why are you doing this? Why did you get up at 5 a.m. to do this run? And, and you did that for 20 miles before you said, Dan, shut up, uh, is what you said uh, in your, can you take us back there to oh, yeah. that moment and t- tell us how you kind of overcame that? I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of whiny when it comes to that stuff. I love the idea of competition, but frankly, when the gun goes off, now it's real. Now it's real. And uh, I, the night before that, I had told Sarah that uh, I was looking for, I was looking just to run the entire event. Little did I know that day, it would be 92 degrees outside with 100% humidity. And two thirds of the field would drop out because of dehydration and medical emergencies uh, due to dehydration and other things like that. I ended up finishing 24 miles ahead of second place, 24, 25, 26, something like that. Wow. So a full marathon ahead of second place, basically. And, uh, but yeah, yeah. When you're doing it, you know, you have all these, you have these thoughts and doubts. Like, what am I doing? Like, seriously, like I've dragged my family out here, uh, instead of enjoying time with my kids, uh, or my wife, I'm running and my wife is stuck here, you know, having to pass me water bottles and do some other craziness. And can you kind of have these thoughts? Like, am I even being a good dad? Right. I mean, is this a good use of my time? I mean, like shame on you. You know what I mean? You have all these, you have these kind of these thoughts and, and then, and then there's some point at which you say, um, 
all right, I'm in this. Let's just get it done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's just get it done. And you go about getting it done. And, and so I think the part of this challenge is one is that people think because they have these thoughts that that makes them special. Like, oh, well, I need to be spending time with my family. Okay, well, maybe you do. Maybe you need to be pushing your limits instead. You know, um, you know people think, oh, I, I have a good reason. I have a good explanation. Look, I had plenty of good explanations for 20 miles, right? <laughs> that's, yeah. That's, that's, you know, two and a half, three hours of running. You know, I had really good explanations about other things I could have been doing. But the reality was the thing I should have been doing is the thing I was doing, which is to, to push my own limits and, and, and run. Uh, you know, I, I'm religious. I go to church. And, um, you know, I, I stumble, you know, people, I kind of have a low profile, but people know what I do. And people say, oh, man, I need your help. I'm trying to do this thing. Pray for me, brother. And I'm like, I- I'm not praying for you because you're an asshole and you're lazy. And no amount of Jesus or whatever you believe in is going to help you because you won't, you won't go out and do the hard work that success demands. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. I, I think when we back into it, there's all these good excuses that's what I was giving myself is really good excuses. Listen, they were intellectual and they were, they were like, you know, proactive excuses. I mean, it's good to spend time with your family. It's good to like, you know what I mean? To do things where you can all be together. Uh, but the reality was that uh, by doing this exercise, uh, it was making me a better person. And by the way, a better me is a better dad. It's a better business guy. It's a better father. It's all of those things. And totally. And so, you know, people think, oh, I have a good reason. Yeah, let me tell you my reason. No, 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 no. You keep that reason to yourself. I don't yep. know what that reason to enter my head, right? Yeah. And so I think that that's the thing. The other, the other observation I would make is it's natural to want to give up. Uh, if you do something audacious, it's natural to want to give up because they're hard and they're uncomfortable and your body hurts, right? And sometimes you're running through the woods and you're saying, okay, you know, let's just make it back up to the hill, make it back up to the next aid station, and then we'll quit there. And you make it to the aid station, you get some fruit in your belly or get whatever you're good at eating. And you go, let's just run a couple more miles. You know, that's mm-hmm. natural. That's natural that when it's big and audacious, you know, you're going to have to kind of push yourself. You're going to have to trick yourself to keep going forward. Many people think, oh, well, if, if, if it hurts, I must be doing something wrong. Right. They'll even say that. Well, look, you know, maybe you're not doing something right. If it's if it's if it doesn't feel right, you know, maybe course correct. No, no. If you're unless you're like 92 and doing some sort of aqua aerobics. Right. The point is that you should be doing things deliberately that are uncomfortable. You should totally. out of your way to do things that are massively uncomfortably and disruptive. I think that that's a, a, a struggle that a lot of whether they're entrepreneurs or or you know, rank and file employees at some company face on a daily life in their business activities or in their personal life, because, uh, you know, it goes back to that, that whole concept of when the going gets tough, the tough should get going, you know, and we get derailed. We allow ourselves to get derailed when we face adversity and, uh, something makes us uncomfortable and, and it can, it can stop you from achieving great heights if you if you allow it to you have a wonderful quote that, that I love which is and I, and I and I might not say it the right way so if I don't correct me but the moment that you stop doing the right thing you've just done the run the wrong thing mm-hmm. is that is that is that it is that the quote 
Yep. That's the quote, which I love. And it, and the moment I heard it, it, it took me way, way back to when I read um, Think and Grow Rich. And there's that story about the gold vein where the, where the guy started to, to dig for gold and then he, he stopped three feet from this massive vein of gold and sold, sold the, uh, the property for pennies on the dollar and lost his family's money and all the investors' money and, and sold it to this guy who, who went a little bit further and found this massive vein of gold. Yep. You know, and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful story and it's real. You know, if you just keep going and you know you're doing the right things and the moment you stop doing those things, the moment you stop making that extra phone call, yeah, let, 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 me, let, me, let me put it to you another way. Because sometimes people say, oh, that's some bullshit, you know. You're just trying to hype me up. This, okay, so let's, let's come at this another angle. I, I interviewed a thousand ordinary people who achieved outrageous success. You know, Hall of Fame football players born with one leg. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, amazing people who are homeless, went, became billionaires, and just shockingly amazing stuff. So I didn't hear one of them say, you know, uh, I stopped doing this thing and all of a sudden my life turned around, right? Uh, I pivoted and my life turned around. You know, I started working smarter and my life turned around. What I heard them all say to me was a very similar story. And some of them used different nouns and verbs, but they all said basically the same story. It was really dark. I tried really hard. It looked like I was going to go over the cliff a bunch of times. People around me thought I was crazy. People told me to get a real job and to do you know, real work and to stop this craziness to look at the warning signs, right? To look at the, look at the data, right? People gave me all those, you know, those, those lessons and admonitions. I started believing I was crazy. I started doubting that it was going to be possible for me to be successful. All of a sudden, the sun came out. And so that's why I say that phrase, if you stop doing the right thing before it starts working, you've just done the wrong thing. What the lesson I've learned is I've not met one successful person who told me, oh man, I quit. And all of a sudden, life was good. And, you know, um, uh, Seth Godin wrote a very, very popular book many years ago, one of his very popular books about giving up, quitting. And I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs tell me this, uh, this story about, oh, yeah, there, you have to know when to quit. Well, here's what I'll tell you about that. And I, Seth Godin is one of those people that I admire, and I've worked with him in the past, and so I have nothing ill to say, and I'm not trying to be contrarian, but I will say this. I just haven't met somebody at a real deep emotional level that can say to me, I'm so glad I quit. I'm so glad I gave up. They all say to me, man, I was so close to giving up and I'm glad I didn't. And so I know intellectually there's an argument to be made for, you know, for quitting. I know there's an intellectual argument for saying no. Uh, but I got to tell you, when I interview amazing people, uh, uh, they don't tell me those things. They tell me I was pigheaded. I put my head down. I just did it, did it, did it, did it. No one believed in me. I still did it. It ended up being amazing. I think that's the formula that if I had to admonish those around me, I would say that's the formula. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, that, that kind of falls under the, the human strategy, uh, the why component of, of edgy, right? The, you know, there's at the beginning of your book, you talk about, you share a very personal, very painful, very authentic story which I haven't gotten to the end of the book yet. And all our listeners are going to have to go buy the book to find out how the story ends as well. It, it, it seems to me that greatness is born from that pain, sure. from that need, from that desperation. And, and the stories that you share in it 
in, in the book are, are, are living, breathing examples of that when your back is up against the wall and you have to succeed or die, essentially. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you have to do extreme things to get there. And I'll tell you, you have to, stay, you have to do extreme things to stay there. So one of the things I find is like I, one thing that worries me all the time is what if I become a has-been, right, Mike? I mean, what happens if I do one thing that's great? I've already built and sold several multimillion-dollar companies. Some people consider that successful. I don't know what I think about it. Uh, but what happens if, if I'm one of those guys who loses my mojo, right? Then mm-hmm. what? And so I, I, I analyze this, and perhaps I shouldn't be so obsessive, but I'm thinking, what do I do? And I've realized the formula is to never be comfortable, to always stay hungry. And so for me, you, you started this whole interview at the top by saying, what's most exciting in your life? Well, one way to stay hungry in business is to challenge yourself, maybe not by business at all, but maybe by go running 500 miles, right? Yeah. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe if you're, you know, you're struggling right now, it's not to try to find the next go work from home, make a million dollars doing multi-level marketing with grand promises of, of make money by following what the guy upstairs tells you to do. Maybe that's not the secret. Maybe the secret is to say, I'm going to go buy a pair of running shoes or, you know, CrossFit shoes, whatever you want to do. And I'm going to push my body to limits I've not achieved before. Right. And, and that will feed over into business, that tenacity, the, the hard wiring of your body, uh, that, that you develop the muscles you develop and the insights you develop. It's amazing. You know, I'll tell you, when I was going through those rough times that I wrote about in the book, one of the things that I always clung to was my ability to run. Because while my life was spiraling out of control, the one thing that I could harness was running. And the pain I felt by pushing my body to these extreme limits, even though it was painful, utterly painful, I would run sometimes until I would throw up. But that, that pain felt a lot better than the emotional pain I felt of just sitting in my room and obsessing about the problems I was having in my marriage. And so I think that's, that's something to learn is that, you know, uh, greatness isn't by doing one thing all the time. It's by flexing in all the areas of our life. And it's, it's, it's staying hungry enough. So here's a silly example. Um, I train Tuesdays and Thursday with my coach. It's a mixed group, but I've been training against some college runners. And there's one particular runner who's, who's really, he's a sharp guy, really sharp college guy. And by the way, I'm a long, long distance runner. I'm reasonably okay in short distances, sub 17 minute 5k time, you know, uh, 119 for a half marathon, stuff like that. 130 or so for 230, excuse me, for a full marathon. So nothing to write home about, but not uh, incredibly, not Olympic standards by anything else. We're talking about setting a world record with a 500K. I can't set a world record with a marathon. Put this in perspective, but I'm training against yeah. this guy who is very good. What's interesting is I'm doing mile repeats on a track. You run a mile, you stand still for 60 seconds, let your heart rate get down a little bit, go do another mile, another mile. We're running these miles at somewhere around 530, 519 pace. And I don't know if my coach did it on purpose or not, but he sent the college runner out ahead of me about 20 seconds. He was looking at his watch and he said, you go. And they looked at me and said, you go. He's telling people, you go, you go. And it just annoyed the crap out of me that this guy ahead of me was, you know, a, a, a half a lap ahead of me, roughly a half of a lap. And so I bear down, I bear down uh, on that first. And now he's, this is a fast runner. So I think he, you know, when I'm coming in halfway, 
he sees me on the other side of the track. And of course I'm bearing down, I'm bearing down, I'm bearing down, but this guy's fast. You know, there's no way you're going to catch 20 seconds, 25 seconds on this guy. Cause he's, I'm running faster. He's running faster. And the second lap, I gain a little bit of ground. And the third lap, I'm noticing I gain a little more ground, but still, you know, now at this point, he's a quarter of the lap ahead of me on the fourth lap. We start this just happened two days ago. And I said, I'm this punk. I'm 37. I'm like, this punk has no right to be ahead of me. And I'm bearing down and I'm, I'm just creaming it. I'm creaming it. I cross, I cross the finish line about five steps ahead of this other guy. And then I take about two more steps and throw up and, and, you know, um, my stomach is spasming and all this kind of stuff. My coach is like, what the hell is your problem? Waldschmidt? I ran a four forty two. Whoa. Four forty two. He said, why would you do something like that? And I said, look, this idiot has no business being in front of me. And my coach just laughed. He said, rage, so much rage. And I said, no, I'm hungry. I want to be the best. I want to be the best every day. I want to be the, I want to push myself. This guy has no business being better than me. What if I'm didn't matter. It didn't matter the logic that, you know, he started 20 seconds ahead of me. Didn't matter that he was half a lap ahead of me. That should be normal and natural. But by challenging myself, I achieved uh, a greater level of success. And sometimes I, I ask myself this, what if today I was supposed to win and I didn't show up? Mm-hmm. In other words, you know, what if you work, like you said, thinking grow rich, what if you dig that gold mine six inches from where it should be? And then you say, screw it. It wasn't meant to be. People tell me this at church all the time. You know, I guess God just doesn't want me to fill in the blank, be rich, have a successful family, have a successful business, blah, blah, blah. I guess it's not in the cards for me. And, and, and people make these excuses as if blaming your life on a higher being is an explanation for your own failures. And it's like, no, 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 no. You have to keep digging. And I'll tell you one more thing. You know where you dig? You don't dig on race day. You, rig, you, you dig on practice day, on mm-hmm. every day. I'll tell you, over the years, uh, 9,633 miles over the last handful of years, almost 10,000, closing in on 10,000 miles, uh, my body has changed. My muscles have changed. Uh, it's interesting to see your body evolve over time. This last year, I've been working on something specific, heart rate training. Basically, mm-hmm. it was how fast I can run without letting my heart get to a certain level, backing down when it gets to a level, then speeding up, doing it in a way that teaches my body to stay within certain comfortable ranges. It allows me to run basically long and long distances without exceeding, uh, putting my body into alarm. Once your body reaches a certain state, uh, you, believe it or not, you actually turn off certain parts of your body. For instance, hmm. if your adrenaline is going too much, your saliva glands stop working, which as a runner, you feel like you have dry mouth. It's because you've turned on your adrenaline glands, which have turned off your saliva glands. You also turn off your digestive system, which is why some people can't hold their food down because you've shut down your body. Anyways, my goal is to keep all of that stuff running while operating at peak performance. So it's kind of a next level of performance. And I got to tell you, you will not run fast on race day if you're not training right every other day of the week. And so people forget that practice is the performance. Practice is the performance. What I tell my kids now, like, oh, I can pass this class or I can pass this piano uh, music. I'm like, yeah, but you can, you can play it at home when dad's shouting at you from the office, but can you play it when your teacher is standing right behind you looking at every note 
all of a sudden now you're nervous. All of a sudden now things aren't right. And you're like, well, I, I had it at home. Well, that's because you were goofing off in practice. And I, it, it, this applies to everything. I meet speakers on the road who tell me, oh, you know, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to get up you know, on stage. I'm like, what do you mean you're going to get up on stage and wing it? You know, what you don't realize in becoming great at speaking is I'm walking around my living room muttering like a fool, right? Practicing <laughs> tone of voice and stopping and starting. And I'm, I'm hiring these amazing coaches to help me, like Patricia Fripp and Dr. Michelle Mazur and Mary Gardner and all these people saying like, how do I tell a story better? And all of that goes into the impact of being able to stand on a stage and people say, that changed my life. None of that was an accident. None of it, mm-hmm. none of it, none of it, none of it. And I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world. In fact, there's a many, many, many people who are smarter than I am. And, 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 and how do you achieve that? It comes from that hard work and practice where you realize that practice is the performance. And there's many entrepreneurs who want to pretend like they're good, but then the race happens, the performance happens, and they go, I can't understand while I, while I failed because you haven't been practicing like a champion. You've been practicing like a lazy person and then hoping that when it comes to the real performance, the real day, you win. And so you don't have your vision down. You're not clear on your sales uh, sales, uh, sales goals. You're not clear on what your ability to do help a customer with is. You don't have your elevator pitched down. You have any of this stuff ready or done. And so what happens is, you know, you get the opportunity to be in front of your dream client. I'm sure if you talk to Anthony and Arino, he's one of the best guys in the world to talk to you about how to close your dream client. But because you haven't been practicing for that moment, you've got none of those things done. And then you go, well, I guess we need to improve our product. Or I guess, you know, I don't know. Our competition's pretty good. No, no, no. None of that matters. Your product doesn't matter. Your competition matter. doesn't matter. Your company doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is you, what you bring to each individual day of practice. And most totally. entrepreneurs blame busyness. They blame, you know, lack of resources. They blame, uh, oh, I don't have enough money to do that. They say all this crap. And then they wonder why they stay small and broken and not as successful as they could be because they're not practicing like a champion. As I'm reading your book and, and your blog and, and all that stuff, I had this image and, and it kind of correlates with your, your logo already, but <clears throat> I had this image that came to mind of you reaching into the chest of entrepreneurs everywhere and ripping out their heart, kind of like in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style. <laughs> and, but, but squeezing it until it visibly oozes potential. And then you shove it back in and send them on their way. You know, like that, that is kind of like the sauce that I, that I'm, I'm hearing and feeling here with everything that you've got going on is, is really you at the end of the day with this book, with your, your message, you believe that people are limiting themselves so much that, and you're so passionate about realizing your full potential and sharing that with other people that you could you could literally if someone let you you know rip out their heart squeeze potential out of it and put it back in so let so let's talk about the the four principles of the book which which are really game changers mm-hmm. which are uh, edgy so extreme action disciplined activity giving and why which is the human strategy the emotional intelligence component so tell us a little bit about why extreme behavior is important Go back to your goldmine example. If you're not willing to do what's crazy, you'll never do something that's awesome. 
And most people stop too soon. You, know, you go into big companies and I advise, you know, billion dollar companies all over the globe and they'll say, dude, we're doing this thing. It's really edgy. And I look at it and I go, no, no, you went from fuchsia to purple, right? Or from pink to red. All you did was right. slightly change the shade of something. That's not extreme. Uh, the things that we hold our breath, with, oh, that was amazing. The stuff that we say is awesome is not ordinary. It's extraordinary. It's stuff that's crazy. It's stuff that's unbelievable. It's all of those things. And then we go and wonder why we're not successful doing just slightly different than what we did before. And so if you want to disrupt your own life, you have to be extreme. You have to. You have to. Or you'll, you'll always be doing the same thing. By the way, it's really the best way to get noticed. Uh, people say, oh, totally. you know, and every industry does it. Hey, we're no different than those. You know, we're, we're completely different, Dan. We're no, nowhere like those guys. I'll say, oh, okay, what makes you different? Well, you know, they use applesauce and we use ground apples. I'm going, uh, so yours is chunky, maybe? I don't know. I mean, you know, so I guess the reality is some of this, <clears throat> it's really nutty. If you're not willing to be extreme, you won't be successful. Uh, think about the absurdities of success. Uh, 10,000 tries to invent a light bulb, right? Yeah. One, that 1,273 tries to get fried chicken right with Colonel Sanders. Totally. Right? Darden, 500 tries getting a rocket up in the air before it would fly straight. Mm -hmm. Henry Ford, seven bankruptcies. Macy's, William H. Macy, four bankruptcies before he could get things right. Time after time after time after time after time. It takes massive amounts of effort to be successful. And if you're not willing to put it in, then look, you're never going to be successful. It's just not going to happen. And that kind of flows directly into disciplined activity. They go there. You can't have one without the other, right? This is about living fit. One of the lessons that I want to teach people all over the world is you don't know when you're going to be successful. Look, if you were in Brussels, my friend uh, Dikembe Mutombo, a famous uh, Hall of Fame football, uh, football basketball player, was in Brussels two days ago. He's safe. Oh, wow. He's safe. He was in the airport in Brussels when bombs went off. He's safe. You know, uh, God bless. You know, that's amazing. But, you know, you can't predict what happens around you. You can't. And so when I hear all these self-help gurus talking about how to magically change your life, and when I hear people selling multi-level marketing as if it can change your life, it's, it's almost as if you control the universe. You don't. What you do control is something more powerful. You control you. So you have to live fit until you get to where you want to be, meaning you have to live fit financially, live fit spiritually or mentally, and you have to live fit physically, meaning you can't work a 20-hour day if you're eating 5,000 calories at lunch. I live in the South. Everything's fried, buttered, battered, all that good stuff. Listen, you can't, you can't live a life that's amazing when you're stuffing fuel and, you know, that's horrible into your body. It's like putting water in your gas tank and wondering why you can't drive the cars because that's not how the car goes. Right. And by the way, you don't put automotive gasoline in a space rocket, a space rocket to soar, to get out of the atmosphere. You can't use the same thing that keeps your vehicle on the ground. So if you're going to sure. soar, if you're going to climb, you can't do the same shit that you would do to crawl on the Earth's atmosphere. Right. You just can't do it. So that's that's just a blank. The third is a giving mindset. See, most of what we do is giving one for one. Someone pays us for one, we give them one. And if you want to change your life and the life of those around you, you have to give tremendous more value than people pay you for. That's the essence of giving. You have to give more value than people pay for. You have to give more value to your community. You have to give more value to your church. You have to give more value to your 
family, you have to give more value to your company, to your clients, to your prospects, then they give you. That's the secret to success. And by the way, if you look at highly successful, highly productive, high-performing people, people are always shocked when they meet their heroes because most of them are givers. Even Steve Jobs, you send him an email, he'd send you an email back, right? Basically, mm-hmm. send him an email, like he checks the email, he sends you an email back. They're, they're, they give more back. They understand. Even if it's Machiavellian in the sense that they only care about business, they've understand, they understand the truth that when you give people more values than they pay for, they want to do business with you forever. And so that's a secret. And there are a lot of entrepreneurs who are trying to think about how to maximize profitability. And you shouldn't be maximizing profitability. You shouldn't be about maximizing the value you provide to your customers. By the way, we have lots of KPIs in business, right? Key performance indicators. We're know how many people we've called and how many emails we've sent and who's this and who's that. Here's a, here's a stat for you. How many outrageously satisfied customers do you have? Usually when I ask that from the stage or in front of a boardroom, people go, uh, I don't know. And I go, you don't know because you haven't been measuring it. And because you haven't been measuring it, you haven't been improving it. And because you haven't been improving it, I'm guessing the answer is this, not many. Mm-hmm. So if you want to change your life for the better, you've got to start making sure people are agency satisfied, which leads us to that fourth category of human strategy. And the reality about satisfying people at a massive level is uh, what makes them happy isn't the stuff you think it does. They're not looking for a good deal. They're looking for the pain and fear and love and loss, the things that really drive them deep in their soul to be addressed. That's why we hate politicians, because you ask them a question, they won't ask the question. Probably like some interviews you've had, right? You ask a question and people give you a long answer. You're like, just answer the question. Tell me, what do you think? Is this good or is this bad? And instead of saying things like, hey, that's a complex answer, we'll say things that that make no sense at all. And so the reality is it drives consumers crazy. It drives, you know, uh, you know, constituents crazy when you can't just say what you believe. And the reality of uh, of living a life that's extremely successful is that you've got to address the pain and fear and love and loss in your own life. And you have to be able to address it and improve it in the lives of everyone you meet, everyone you meet. Because behind every hello, behind every hi, behind I'm doing fine, is someone like me who, despite making millions of dollars, was contemplating committing suicide. And no one Mm -hmm. ever thought. Everyone thought I was boy wonder. Everyone thought I was happy. Everyone thought I was successful. And we do this thing where when someone commits suicide, we go, what, what happened? They were so happy. No, you were so self-absorbed, you couldn't notice the pain behind the happy answer. Absolutely. That, that is so true, which leads me into my last question before we ask how our uh, subscribers can connect with you and, 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 and get in touch with your blog, et cetera. You're in an airport. You don't know what's what's happening next. You're in your car. You don't know what's happening next. Wherever you are, you don't know what's happening next. You don't know when God is going to take you from this earth and, 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 uh, and into heaven. So how will you measure your life? Uh, did I do all I could for as long as I could? Uh, I think that's, that's it. Do I, did I show up? Did I show up and compete or did I go through the motions? And that's something only I can answer. Yep. No, I, I love that, and that's a that's a great legacy because I think that people, uh, when they when they look at you, and they look at what what you've done, especially your kids. It's, I mean, it's all about our kids. For me, I've got kids too, and and I want my kids to be able to say that mm-hmm. you know that that he showed up, that he competed, that he uh, you know even despite the fact that he may have stumbled and fallen at times, he got back up and he moved forward. Yeah, exactly right. And did you do it when no one's watching? 
Because that's what's yeah. hard. You know, I often say this to people because people say, oh, man, I want to do what you do. And I want to do. I'm like, listen, if you could really pull back the curtain. I wrote an article back in January called about how we did in, in the first three or four weeks of this year. We did more business in three weeks than we did in all of last year combined. All of last year, millions and millions of dollars. We did more in three weeks than we did in 52. Wow. Wow. People say, oh, I want to tell what you do. What you do? What you do? Come on. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. Tell me. I want to do it. I'm, I'm like, listen, we spent six months failing. <laughs> well, and by failing, still making money, but not doing it at the rate we wanted to do. Uh, three months looking for answers and three months figuring out that we had to figure out the answers ourselves and doing it. And so from October, November, December, we put together the pieces. And when we finally kicked off our approach in January 4th of this year, we had little, we, we, we didn't know what was going to happen. We just knew we were going to try really hard. And I think a lot of the reason people say, well, you know, I love your blog. It's in, you just mentioned, you know, how do you pull that heart out of your chest and keep it beating? I'm on this journey of how can I be even better? Mm-hmm. And so often when I write, when I'm writing about, you know, a warrior's morning, when I write about fear, to be honest with, 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 to give people the inside story, it's usually because I'm struggling. I'm struggling with something. And so there are times when I just sit down at the keyboard and I begin to write about those things that I feel. And people say, oh man, that's so real. Well, you know why you're feeling connected to that? Because it, it was connected to me and I'm a real person, right? So yeah, right. instead of giving you the theory about sales process uh, and, and, you know, and sales strategy, and that, that could all come. You know, we make millions of dollars advising companies on that sort of stuff. So that, that can come. But if you don't have the will, no amount of skill can make you successful. I think that's mm. what this discussion is about. First of all, you think about it. I said this, I was meeting to a, a big company who makes uh, uh, CAD software and there were about 6,000 sales reps in the audience. And I said, you know what's interesting? We have people, I had everyone stand up who had been in sales. That was pretty much the audience, five years, 10 years. Sit down when you've done it, 15, 20. The oldest guy had been at the company for 35 years doing sales. And I said, how many quarterly meetings do you have? He said, I don't know, 100, 150 in all. So, so you've listened 150 times to someone like me tell you, all of these high-performing strategies to change the world, to, to grow sales. And here's the question I have for us. Don't you think after 10 or 15 times, we would have figured this out? Maybe after 20, maybe for even us dim-witted guys, 20 or 25 times, but 150 times we've had people tell us what tips and tricks and what latest you know, gadgets and gazmos and all kinds of things we could do to grow our business. And what we haven't stopped to say is, why isn't it working? And it's not because we're lacking skills. By the way, if you are lacking skills, just go get those skills, learn those skills. We're not lacking skills most often. We're lacking the will to perform even when it's tough. Grit, baby. Yep, that's it. That's the will to win. That is that is so critical. You know, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today, Dan. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, tons of great information to to impact our listeners. How can our subscribers connect with you and get a hold of your blog and your work? What's the what are the best resources? Yeah, so I think the uh, the best resources will be uh, danwalshman.com, or you can go to edgyconversations.com. Um, both are, are are really good uh, ways to uh, to engage, interact. Um, and by the way, if you go to edgyconversations.com, make sure you go to products and then go down to free stuff. We've got everything from epic wallpapers, 
that are free to, from your phone, for your desktop, to, to just a, a bunch of posters and all kinds of really neat stuff. You can put them up on your wall. Most of that stuff is free. We just want to have cool little things that are surround yourself with. So when you are lacking will, you can turn to your right and see a poster and realize, oh, wait, before Michael Dell ran a billion-dollar company, he worked at a Chinese restaurant busing tables. Oh, wait a minute. Before Marissa Mayer was running Yahoo and very successful at Google, she was a secretary. And, 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 and so looking at thing after thing after thing of people who were successful in spite of, of the setbacks or, or obstacles in their way. And so that's why uh, we have a lot of free posters and things to keep you motivated. That's awesome. And you guys are also on Facebook and Twitter, oh, I yeah. believe, also. Yeah, all those, all those channels. So we'll, we'll be sure to link up all, all that stuff. Uh, wish you continued success. And I know that you'll be prolific and, and uh, ripping the hearts out of the entrepreneurs everywhere and putting them back when they're oozing with potential. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to keep fighting until I go down. So I get hit by a car last week running, got back up and finished my running. I kind of view that life. Uh, as an MMA fighter and now as an ultra distance runner, as a business guy, I tell people, look, there's a lot of things that will knock you over in life. And for those listening, you've probably got knocked over today or yesterday or, or this most recent week, you've had something knock you over and you can't control when you're knocked over, right? What you can control Absolutely. is you get back up. And so I think that's the essence of your podcast. I think it's the essence of what I'm saying. And it's the essence of should be the hopeful thing you write and think about every day. Get back up. Word. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Have a wonderful rest of your afternoon uh, there on the on the in uh, in the south South Carolina, I believe, is where you're at, right? Beautiful, sunny South Carolina. Yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. Well, my best to your family, and uh, we'll keep you posted when the show airs. Thanks, Mike. All right, thank you. There you have it, folks. We just heard some tremendously valuable things from Dan that can have a huge impact in both your life and your business. We heard about the edgy audit. We heard about blowing up our personal limits. We heard about how having an edgy conversation can take your life and your business to the next level. One of my favorite quotes from our conversation is comes from Dan. I love the idea of competition, but when the gun goes off, it gets real. Be sure to connect with Dan at edgy, edgyconversations.com. Again, that's edgyconversations.com. And don't forget to take the audit at edgyaudit.com. You can find a ton of great resources on all of Dan's websites. We will include all of these links as well as his social media connections in the show notes. Last and certainly not least, if you liked this episode, please head over to iTunes. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We certainly appreciate it. And then when you're done with that, head over to www.theimpactentrepreneur.net and subscribe there too. Now go have an impact.